0: This is Journey Church podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Back to winter yesterday, I put away all my coats yesterday for full assurance that it was going to snow sometime in the next couple weeks. But uh, it is really good to be in God's house. We're going to continue, as Pastor Dave said, to. Um, in our series called All In. Can I get some house lights, please? Thank you. Uh, this is because my eyes don't work very well anymore as I've approached middle age, and I can no longer see you anymore unless there's house lights on. Thank you. It's also because it's a bit weird being in the dark for that long, right? Yeah, we're all glad we got some lights, I know. Sorry to be a diva up there. <laughs> um, and, and I wanna talk about, just for the next few minutes today, I want to consider what it would be like to go all in for all of us what would it look like if you went all in in the mission of god there's really nothing worse than something that's half-baked yes our um we got an air fryer in the pandemic because you know we did all the pandemic things and those of you that got an air fryer you know it changed your life you know that you tried to say to yourself, I will never use an appliance like that. It'll be like a weird type of appliance that I buy and I never use. But the air fryer is different. You use that thing like you are I am an air fryer evangelist. You can cook anything in that. Those of us with not a lot of cooking skills, you know the air fryer is helpful. But anyways, our air fryer got used so much that it went on the fritz a little while ago. And Dave and I were and you know, on kids' days off that you always pull out the chicken nuggets when all their friends are over because chicken nuggets are easy and you just have to have ketchup. Anyways, our air fryer was on the fritz. Little did we know we were serving our children half-baked chicken nuggets. Mmm, yes, I heard those groans. They were cooked, but they were uh, soggy. It's not a good, see, this is the anti-hungry-for-lunch sermon. Uh, They were soggy and kind of floppy. Gross, like the grossest food of all time. And um, and uh, this is a picture in some ways. I began to think about a picture about how many of us are when we're not all the way in. You're halfway in the air fryer. You're soggy. <laughs> and for some of us, this is exactly what our spiritual lives look like. My grandmother uh, used to have this saying. Um, we grew up in the GTA, and there are t- these two twin cities, Kitchener in Cambridge, and she'd say, it's like you have one foot in Kitchener and one foot in Cambridge, and that's the splits, and if you've ever done the splits before, you know that that is very uncomfortable. Uh, this is true for many of us, though, in our spiritual lives. We're not all the w- I mean, we're, we're nice. We're nice people. But if Jesus were to come back and examine our lives, we'd just be nice. We haven't gone all in in the things of God. And so over these next couple of weeks, I'm asking that you would do an experiment with me. What would happen if you went all in with Jesus? What would happen if you gave everything? Like like all of your life was focused on him. I'm not saying that you quit your job and you get up at 3 a.m. and all you do is pray for 23 hours a day. I'm not saying that. But what if every action and every intention, what if every joke you told What if every part of your life was directed towards Jesus? What if you quit dabbling your toes in the water of discipleship and immersed your entire self? And I'm maybe gonna say this, what do you have to lose? If your life, your current spiritual life looks like a half-baked chicken nugget. I mean, there's probably not much to lose. Because in in some ways, we talked about this the first week, When we are half in, um, what it is kind of like, is like multitasking. And I know, I know if you're under 20, you think that you can multitask forever. You think that you can watch TikTok and also write a university paper. But your grades, which are coming out in a week or so, may reflect that that is not (laughs) possible. So you have nothing to lose. Like in some ways, what if we all just said for the next 12 weeks, over the next summer months, June, July, August, we're gonna say, Jesus, I'm going all in for you. I'm willing to like actually give this a go. I'm actually gonna say, God, all of me, to all of you. And you know what, if it doesn't work out, at the end of the summer, you can just go back to being half-baked. Go ahead, nothing to lose. And if you're worried, like some of us were worried, like if I go all in, if I get like too much into this Christianity thing, people will think I'm weird. The great news is it's 12 weeks. So like if you're weird for a summertime, everyone just goes, well, I guess it was just a weird phase they were in. You you have nothing to lose. But what if we went all in and 12 weeks from now everything was different? What what if by giving our full self to god we, we actually got transformed what if nothing remained the same and so this series is called all in because we're unapologetically asking people to go all in for the kingdom of god and of course we've been talking about money but we're not just talking about money we're talking about our whole lives I mean, money, in some ways, is a reflection of the rest of our lives. By the way, something can happen to you in the spiritual realm that does not affect you in the, in the physical realm. This, this is why we talk about money. You, you, the Christianity is not an ethereal faith. Like, it's not just a philosophical faith where you, like, believe all these things. No, no, it's an actual faith that is grounded in the practical. And so when God does something to me on the inside, that actually changes the way that I physically live out my life. And that's why we talk about money, because it's a really easy metaphor for the rest of our lives. So what does it look like to be all in? What does that mean? Well, here's, here's a couple of things. If, if I'm all in with Jesus, I'm probably into his word. I want to give just like a little shout out just at the beginning. At the beginning of the year, remember we talked about that we would be people of the word And some of us, when we got to Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it just sort of became hard, and you fell off the wagon. It's fine. Just start again today. Here's the, we'll go to the next slide. Yeah. You can read the Bible with us. Just pick up where you left off. Don't worry about that little app that says you missed 93 days. Don't worry about it. Just ignore that. Just ignore that you missed 93 days. Who cares? Start today. Some of you need to take this QR code again. We won't look at you. Just take the QR code again, and just start today. Because when we go all in with... Listen, if you're all in, you can't be all in and then be like, well, I don't care what God says. That's called a made-up religion in your own likeness. That's called... Um, watch Oprah for six hours a day. Sorry, Oprah. I'm not... I, I, if, we're not if we're all in with Jesus, we're going to be all into his word. It's going to transform our lives. Well, let me just... Um, If we're all in with Jesus, you haven't been baptized, so, man, the next time there's a baptism, be the first person to sign up. Say, I'm going all in. The young man that got baptized, a teenager, said, listen, I just decided I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm going to publicly make a public declaration of my faith. If you're all in, listen, you'll be involved in community. You'll have people around you that speak in. This is why we have small groups. Now, there's nothing spiritual particularly about joining a small group. You don't get a golden star from God like you joined a small group for 14 weeks this year. No, but like a small group actually forces people to know you and know your stuff and know that you're mixed up because some Mondays you come in my small group. Listen, in my small group, some Mondays we come and cry and some Mondays we're angry and some Mondays we're happy and cheerful. You know, just people know you don't have it all together. This is why, you, this is why, this is why we say, listen, my desire is that everybody in our church would be a part of a small group. I know you're busy. I know you're important and I know you don't have time. Um, But I am going to say this to you. You don't have time not to be in community. Because you might be in a good season in your life right now, but there are going to be valleys that you will walk through and you will need other people. And and young man or young woman that has a boyfriend or a girlfriend, your boyfriend or girlfriend is not enough. Man or woman who is married, I am happy you are married. Praise the Lord. But your husband or your wife is not enough. Because you know what we get? We get this like weird bias. When we get married, and your husband, you know what's best for you. Your wife says something. you're going to say yes. You're totally right. You want to egg that person's house? That's fine. Go ahead. Do that. Because you want to continue to sleep in your king-size bed. You, we need, okay, so there's a lie in our culture that tells us if you'll just get married and have two kids, that's all you're going to need, just that and Jesus. It's a lie. We need more than that. Now I'm not saying you don't lean into your husband, you don't lean into your wife, you don't have good. You just need more than that. We need each other. We need each other. We need to know each other well enough to be able to speak to each other. Okay. Are you involved in serving? If you don't serve, you can't be all in because Jesus said, "Whoever wants to be great among amongst you must be the servant of all." The thing is, I always thought that serving would always be fun, except for it's not. Except for a lot of times it's hard and terrible, and you think, I don't want to do this right now at all. Yeah, yeah, so Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. These are hard words of Jesus that we want to just go, turn it into a song with a very nice chord progression. But these are the words of Jesus, whoever wants to take up his life. Now, anytime I lose something, I'm not like, yay, hooray, I've lost it. Uh, we actually have angst about when we lose things. Whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. Losing your life hurts a little bit. Okay, and then, and then financially, are you invested financially in the kingdom of God? So the thing is, Journey Church, there should be no spectators in the kingdom of God, right? Church is not an event you attend on the weekend. It is a movement. It's a, it's followers, uh, people. Who are Christians are not just follow are not just fans they're followers. And listen, uh, we're in playoff season right now for all the sports, and a lot of you are like rabid you were rabid Flames fans. I'm sorry, and now we've all turned to Oilers fans. <laughs> Maybe not, but so internally. And uh, I'm I'm a basketball fan, so now I'm cheering for all. I'm cheering for the L.A. Lakers not to win against Golden State. But anyways, it's hard. Now, the thing is, I would say that I am a major, I am a sports fan, particularly in the playoffs. I, I know all the teams. I had a long discussion with my son on the way over here about who we think is going to win the NBA title this year. But I'm a fan. Do you know how I know I'm a fan? Because I'm not up at 5 a.m. shooting three-pointers. I am not in the locker room when they lose a game. A a lot of us are fans of Jesus, but we're not really followers of Jesus. And I I want to suggest that if we're going to be all in, that we cannot just be fans of him. Like, go Jesus! That was a great song. I loved that one. Nice minor chord progression at the end there, Abel. That was beautiful. We We can't just be fans. We must be followers. Um... So today we want to look at what it looks like to sacrifice for the mission. Last week I, I said to you that a gospel-centered generosity starts with the understanding that God does not need your money, and um, which is different than how we've often heard people preach about God needs your money. God does not need your money. He took like some loaves and bread and fed five thousand people. He took fish out of he took money out of someone's fish. He, uh, no, he took money out of a fish. Um, when, when Jesus talks about generosity, he is not after our money, but he's after our hearts. He's after us to go all in with him. Money is just an example of what it means to go all in with Jesus. And, and that's why when someone says to me, Jess, I don't really get it. I don't get why I have to be part of this. Like, I'm not a wealthy person. Because this is the truth. No matter how much money you have, you'll never feel wealthy. You always feel like there's somebody ahead of you. Because there will always be somebody that has more than you. So, like, why can't, and I've had people say this to me, why can't the rich people just hold it down in the church? Like, there's enough rich people here. Don't look around and look at them right now. Just, can't they just hold it down for us and we can just, I mean, what's wrong with them? Are they chintzy? But we're not giving because God needs, see, that's the mentality that says we're giving because God needs it. Like, all the rich people should give money and everybody else should just, um, We're not giving because God needs it. Jesus once watched a young woman give two mites into an offering and said that her gift was worth way more. So it's not about how much you give. It's just that we give. This is part of our heart posture towards God. And both rich and poor alike should give, give in a way that responds with the sacrifice of our heart, something that represents a transfer of treasure and trust from our heart. That's why David, when we talked about last week, said, I won't give unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. Because the question is not, how much does God need and am I able to supply it? The question is, what statement does my giving make about my heart towards God? Okay, so now here are the questions we asked last week. What does what you do with your money show what you love most? What does your giving show that you most trust in? What does what you do with your money reveal what kingdom you are serving? How you spent your money last week, what does that reveal about what kingdom you're serving? And what statement does your giving to God make about his value to you? And I know right away people react against this. Well, you can't say that I don't value God because I don't give money. Except Jesus did. So God's primary purpose in giving is not to get money out of our pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. Generosity is not something he wants from us, but for us. Okay, so our example this week is found in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because, we're going to talk about this in a second, it's the first time in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God comes and rests on people. And uh, it's a it's a really important passage of scripture. I want to read just a few passages of it. The context is this: God has delivered people from the has delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery after 500 years, and He is now leading them through the desert with a pillar of of smoke by day and a fire by night. He's doing all kinds of miracles. He's fed them manna in the wilderness, given them water from the rock, and safety from all their enemies. All of this is extraordinary. And he's taking them to the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 35, they are going to build a tabernacle for their God to reside in. Exodus chapter 35, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. This is the very first offering, every pastor's favorite passage. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Okay, I want to make a few observations about this text. The first one is this. They gave in response to the command of God. So God was clearly leading them. They weren't building something for God. They were cooperating with God as God was building something through them. Listen, when you give, you're not giving to God. God is building something through you and you're participating with him. And, um, you know, I, I think we've explained in the last little bit how we can see God moving in and amongst us that's an amazing thing it's amazing that we're uh, having multiple baptisms that people are coming to Jesus this is an amazing thing when God asks us to give to his kingdom it's not hey to keep the lights on we need no God is moving we get to participate with him and we want to cooperate with him as he blesses us to be a blessing this is the point and and listen we believe we've just scratched the surface Imagine what it would look like for us as a community to be all into the kingdom of God. Like all of us collectively said, yep, everything we do is going to be directed towards seeing the kingdom of darkness pushed back in Calgary and around the world. That would take a concerted effort of all of us saying, yep, I think think this is what, I, I think God's got, I think we're on the precipice of something really exciting. I think three months from now, when we roll into September, we're going to see the Lord do extraordinary things in our midst. And I, I just, I feel so blessed to be standing here today, to be part of something that together we're going to look back on and say, yes, certainly God was with us. You know, past grace is a promise of future grace. God didn't bring our two congregations, two congregations together and put us here miraculously just to say, you know what, just have a nice little cozy church. I hope you all enjoy each other, and I hope the coffee's good. No, no. What God started, what God it, it puts a spark to, he intends to set ablaze. This is the promise of God to us from Philippians 1, verse 6. We, I, I just believe we're standing on the, in, in the midst of something good, and God is asking us, will you go all in with me? It's never his, listen, the desire of God is for us to be transformed. The desire of God is for Calgary to be transformed. Yes, the desire of God is to save people, not not just, uh, and we're not just talking like to, the desire of God is that nobody would be hungry. The desire of God is that people would be healed from their trauma. The desire of God is that people who are lonely would be placed in families. Yes, this is the desire of God. And so we we get to join with him. Yes, God. Yes, I, I get to be part of this. And god doesn't just suggest it he commands it he commands it this is this is our privilege but it is a command of god make no mistake about it the people heard the commands of god and obeyed them Um, the second thing that's interesting is that god used their stuff to build the tabernacle do you ever think about this like god made the earth out of nothing he just his words created so like god could have ostensibly said listen Gonna build a house for myself. Just gonna everybody gather around. He could have spoken it, but he didn't. Instead, he used all the Israelite stuff that they had. Why? Because he was letting them in. He was letting them in. I, I, when my kids were small, they liked to um, make cards for people, and they were always like, uh, "I have a few budding artists in my little family," and th- they would. Now, the cards were not as good as Hallmark cards. If you received one, I'm sorry. Uh, they, but they had a lot of glue on them, and they had a lot of, like, sparkles, which probably opened up into your household, and you received a gift of sparkles. Uh, but they were heart... Th- like, part of that was, like, my kids actually being part of the process of your birthday or your get well card. I mean, maybe the sparkles didn't make you get well, but... Um, this is how God sees us he says bring your gifts to me i don't need your money i don't need your things but you get to the work god does on earth is always facilitated by the gifts of god's people so uh, some people have said like it would be so awesome if our church was able to have like it's cool that we had the warming center for four months but it'd be so amazing we could do that 12 months a year. Yeah, it would. Do you know how that's going to be facilitated? By our gifts. It would be so amazing if we could, like, be really, really, like, we could really help people around the world and we could, like, end world hunger. This is not a Miss America pageant. Do you know how that's going to happen? By our gifts. Because this is the way God works. Now, He doesn't have to work that way. He, we get to do this. Third thing we notice is that they gave in response to grace. So first you have the fact that he delivered them from slavery in Egypt at the Exodus. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 34, so one chapter back, um, God had spared them after they had made an idol. Exodus chapter 34 is like when they made that golden calf and they danced around it and said, this is our God now. And they're still alive after that. So by Exodus 35, they're like, (laughs) "Woo!" a lot of grace. Some of us have forgotten the grace that God has given to us. And we're just entitled to be, like, free. We're entitled to be saved. We got our gift-to-heaven free card. We got that golden ticket in our back pocket, and that's what it is. The Israelites gave in response to grace. Uh, In fact, here's um, an interesting observation. It says that they gave brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Do you ever wonder where did they get those from? So, the, so they had been slaves for 500 years. Now, the last time I checked, slaves didn't get a lot of gold bands. I often read this and thought, well, there must have been three things. You know, somebody hid it. But actually, if you go back to when they were leaving Egypt, uh, you'll remember that the scriptures say, Exodus says, and God made the Egyptians um, pleased with the Israelites. Like, and they, they were to ask, the Israelites were to ask, for all their jewelry, and so they did. And the Egyptians, God made them favorably, dis- favorably disposed the scripture sets to the Israelites, and they gave them gold brooches and rings and armlets, and all the things we read about in here. So the thing is, the Israelites never earned those gold things anyways. They were all from God. When they were given them back, God had just given them to them anyways. What we have to remember is that everything we have is God's anyways. He gave it to you anyways. You're hoarding it all to yourself like, this is mine. can't believe that pastor is trying to tell me to give my money. This is all God's anyways. They gave in anticipation of the future. God had promised them through Abraham to make them a blessing to all the people by bringing the light of his presence to the nations. Listen, every Israelite that was trailing that desert knew that they were called to be a light in the future, that what they were doing here was not just about what they were doing here, but in fact, what they gave in that moment allowed you and I to be sitting here today. Did you ever think about that? That their gifts were not just, it wasn't just like, hey, let me just give an arm bracelet and we'll make it like a fancy tent for God amazing. No, no. The revelation they got on giving, the revelation they got on giving preceded them for thousands of years. You and I are sitting here today because a few people got revelation on what God had called them to do. Your giving to the kingdom of God is never, it's not just like buying a stick of bubble gum, you buy it, you chew it, the end. It's like an investment fund you're investing in the future of what God wants to do. And, and I, d- I don't know that any of them anticipated that this is what it would be, that one day we would be sitting here remembering their story and being taught by it. And I don't know when Jesus will come back and this whole world will, but, but I do know I, I wanna invest like there's gonna be another 3,000 years. That someday, someday people will be sitting and saying, You know those people at Journey Church who once held tightly to things but then remembered that it was all God's anyways. I'm sitting here because of that. Then we we see also that their giving was both free and spirit-prompted. I just want to read these verses again. It says, Take from among you a contribution of the Lord. Whoever is of of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. When I was a kid, I used to think, well, I'm not of a generous heart, so I guess I'd be out of it. Listen, even when you're little, do you know how easy it is to be stingy? So easy to be stingy, isn't it? Like that feeling, like we all become the Grinch. I, I actually think the reason why that is a classic show, because it's a very weird show. I mean, a creep in a green suit taken off. If you don't know what the Grinch is, don't worry about it, this will not make sense. But the reason is because we can identify with that character because we're all kind of Grinchy. Unless you really practice, unless you really, no, nobody comes out of the womb going, you know what, I am a generous person, generous we're, we're generous with things we don't care about. But let me ask you about that thing you collect. What if you had to give it half of it away today? <gasps> Some of you just went, <gasps> Like things you don't care about, who cares? It's easy. Things you care about, so we're all, we got to work on being generous. Okay, and then it says, And then everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments, so they came, both men and women. All All who were of a willing heart brought an offering to the Lord. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses, to be done brought it as a free will offering to the lord okay so what do you see here there's freedom no compulsion whose ever heart whose ever's heart moved them and what we see here is that the holy spirit put things in their heart the spirit of god is deeply involved in our giving process okay so here's a really cool thing so then a little bit further down in, in Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. So we go down to verse 30. It says that Olihab and Beziel, um, who were artisans, they took all of the things that the Israelites gave and the spirit of God rested on them. And there's a couple of things I love about this passage. First of all, it tells me that God's spirit rests on artists. This has nothing to do with the message, but it is an important point to make. The very first time in scripture, the spirit of God rests on people. It is on artists. If you're an artist in this house, let me just speak to you for a moment. The spirit of God wants to come and rest on you. Now this has broader implications for those of us who work in other fields because what it tells us is that the spirit of God is not just on the church platform. He's actually on us as we work, as we, as we go about building the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be all in to the kingdom. God's spirit blows on us. But the thing that's interesting to me, I was thinking, why did the spirit of God rest on those people then? I I believe that the spirit of generosity unlocks the spirit of God in our lives. I, I don't know how that is. I don't know why it is. But over and over again in scripture, you see that when people get on revelation on generosity, the spirit of God is able to move. When we get stingy, what happens is we're We're gripping our stuff so bad that we can't allow the Spirit of God to give us freedom. And some of us have been stuck in patterns for so long. Could it be that we've been too busy gripping all of our things? That we can't allow the Spirit of God to come in and transform us. So we pray these prayers. God, please transform me. I'm trying to carry all my stuff, but please transform me. And our arms are not open. 1 Corinthians says that generosity is a spiritual gift which means that the Spirit of God moves on your heart about what you are individually supposed to give, supposed to give. Now, I'm not, now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying wait for a tingly moment to give five bucks, I, like your leftover lunch money. Um, Paul s- says in 1 Corinthians 16 that our giving should be disciplined and systematic. Um, he says at the first of every week, you're to set aside money, but. What, I'm, what I am saying is that you should be seeking the Spirit's counsel on this. That this is not just some human, like, what do we have left over? This is Spirit of the living God. I'm asking you to show me what I should be giving. What do you want from me in this? And then, the, and then beyond that, that we'd be ready to share with anybody. That's what the book of Acts tells us. Okay, now here's the second, the, the, the next thing I want to observe. And this one it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable. I, I want you to see from the scripture that they gave publicly. Now, there are two things, two truths in Canadian culture. Do you know what we don't talk about at Christmas and Easter? Politics and money. Whoa, it's an election season right now. Just shh, everybody, no talking about that. And we do not talk about our money. Uh, here's here's uh, what you need to know. The, the word translated in the ESV is contribution. So Moses is saying, everybody, bring a contribution. That sounds nice. I'm like, hide it, just give it online. line. It's actually the word terima. And terima literally means to raise up. To raise up. In the old King James uh, version, they called this a heave offering. <laughs> like, just heave your money up. Um, what's interesting though, is that this is public. It a public declaration. Well, this makes people very uncomfortable. By the way, I'm not asking you to come give a heave offering this morning just so you can, re- everybody let your shoulders down. I'm not gonna be doing that. But I do think we have to discuss this for a minute. When was the last time with one of your friends you had a discussion about the, your, the generosity of your heart? I was trying to think about this. When has anybody ever challenged me on this? We don't talk about this because it feels in Canadian culture to be impolite, correct? Correct, yeah. So, so, but the problem is, if we're not discipled in this area, we've got to gape it now. Listen to me. If you had a friend who was in, let's just say they're in your small group, and they're out, um, I don't know, they're cheating at work, and you know it. You think you'd say something to them? Yes, you would. If you were a good friend, you would. If you knew that somebody was at home, beating their husband or wife. I don't know. I, I would pray that we would say something because that, that's an area of, but we're weird about money. And this tells me, when I'm weird about something, do you know what it tells me? That I've got issues around this topic. That I have issues around it. When I can't talk about it, it's because it's, i still got a little bit of work to do in this area. I, I want to suggest, I want to suggest that we learned to get a little bit, it, you know, for years of my life, I didn't, I would go years without talking to the congregation about money. I wanted to talk about more fun things, like, um, I don't know, like, following Jesus with all their, like Leviticus, a lot more fun things. <laughs> the book of Revelation, it's been a year. If you've been here for a year, it has been a year. We have done a lot of, I wanted to talk about things like that, and I had a pastor friend to me. In fact, it was Pastor Roy Holmquist, who was the pastor of Northwest Family Church, I told him, oh, Roy, no, I don't like to talk about money. I'm never going to talk, because I, I remember the 80s, Roy. I know. And he just, in a Roy way, in a way only Roy could say, he said, so I guess you're not, not really committed to really discipling people's hearts, hey? He just <laughs> smiled at me. Okay, okay, sure. But, but it, mostly I realized that it was because I was uncomfortable, because it was uncomfortable for me. It was uncomfortable for me. So my question related to being all in, to being related to community, are, are, we, are we all in enough that we can look at this word contribution and say to our friends, listen, I'm all in. I, I, what's happening with, even saying it's weird, what's happening with your money? <laughs> oh, very weird. All right? we still have work to do in this area, but if we're weird about money, it means that the enemy still has a grip. Do you know who wasn't weird about money? When we pastored in the inner city. People didn't have any money. They had like four bucks. I told you before, sometimes our offering cost us money because people wrote a lot of NSF checks. and It's really discouraging as a pastor when your offering is negative $200. That is a weird week. You know what's weird, though? Be- because they didn't have any money, they could talk to you about money. They could say things like, hey, listen, I got a job. At, I got my very first job at 7-Eleven, and I'm making $7 an hour, and so I made 70 bucks this week, and I'm going to give $7 to the Lord. Because it didn't have a grip. Like I, I'm not saying that we, listen, there is, there's a whole other side of the ditch with having poverty. I'm not saying that we aspire to poverty, but you can understand why uh, great sects of Christianity took vows of poverty because they understood that money was getting all up in their business. So I, I, I want to be able to enjoy the things God's given to me. I, I want to be able to be free from the, the shackles that money brings to us. But the only way we do it is not by keeping it in the dark and saying, we'll talk about everything. We'll even talk about our sex lives, but not money. Okay. So they gave it publicly. I, I want to encourage you to have a conversation with somebody this week about, about your generosity. Have a conversation. It'll be a weird conversation. You'll remember it. Write it down in your day timer. I know you don't have one anymore. Okay, uh, let me just show you, share with you this too. Everyone had something to contribute. Everyone. Verse 20 says, All the congregation of Israel was involved in this. Then it starts uh, listing all the different kinds of people. The craftsmen did this. Some of the women did this. The people who were good with cloth did this. It's just a laundry list of different kinds of people. And there was something for everyone. Everyone was invited to be involved. Um, Here's the thing. You don't control the gifts or resources that God gives you. What you are responsible with is what you do with what God's given you. So God's given you. If you're in a season where everything's hard and you have two bucks, you're responsible for that. What does it mean to be res- What does it mean to be generous with uh, two dollars? And this means that you should not feel guilty. This is not a message that says everybody listen. If you can't be a twenty thousand dollar giver this week, guilt. No, 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 no. This is not the This is not the word of this. It's not what the word is saying. It's saying you be responsible for what God has given you. I know some of you were at one point at a time in your life where you could give lots, and now you're not. Oh well. You're responsible for what God's given you right now. Nothing else. Uh, You don't need to feel bad about this. And you cannot have what you do, you cannot give what you do not have. I had to learn this a little bit the hard way. Sometimes when people don't have money, doesn't have a hold on them, they give money they do not have, hence the NSF checks. Um, And I had to say to people, listen, if you're living off borrowed money, that borrowed money, you shouldn't, so like students, let me just speak to you a little bit. If you're living off a student loan, that's not your money to give. You're living off your mom and dad's money. That's not yours to give. Now, that does not mean that we can say, you know what? I have debt right now. I can't give because you know what? There's always going to be things. If you're living on somebody else's money, though, I would say that in Scripture we're not held to, to give that money. But, um, but it's different than um, giving off your income while you're in debt you might be in debt, but you got income coming in, give off that income, it's the only way, you're sowing seed, Paul talks about this, you're sowing seed, okay, now here's my favorite point, my favorite observation, point number eight, they had to hold the congregational meaning to tell them to stop giving, it's my favorite verse in the whole Bible, um, then Moses, let's just read it, Moses, uh, Exodus 36 verse 5 says, They said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough, the people brought much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing uh, anything else for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Okay, Journey Church, I'm just going to ask just one time in my life that we that we could experience this can you imagine pastor dave gets up on a sunday hey i know y'all were planning on giving this week no more the world has been rid of all problems but wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be amazing if by Let's say like me we got all of our general giving in and then all the rest of it we could give to the rest of the world wouldn't that be amazing where we could just say listen every salary is cared for everything we're doing here is cared for every dollar you give after this is going to give we're going to give it to the rest of the world i i just i mean i think god i i think god could put that on our hearts to do yes Now, some of you are here saying, like, I got two bucks. What about my two bucks? I don't know. How is my two bucks going to give us $20,000 a week? Listen, if God could multiply a few loaves and fish, God can multiply the little that we have to give. This is not about how much we have to give. This is about us saying, God, I'm going to give what I have. I'm going to give what I have. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. In Luke chapter 21, the disciples were standing at the temple, and they were, um, they were pretty, obviously pretty impressed with the few rich people giving a lot of money, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. And the thing I'm most impressed about is somebody who gave out of their lack. A woman came to anoint Jesus' um, feet with an alabaster jar, whole year's wages. Some of the disciples were like angry, like that was not used very well. And Jesus said, You don't get it. I didn't need, I don't need the money. What I want are gifts that represent your heart. He invites us, God, invites us to give generously so that we can give him the sacrifice of our hearts. This is the message of the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation sacrifice of our hearts. Uh, you know, in the New Testament, um, Let me me just say this too. Um, In Exodus 35 and 36, the people gave because they had been given so much grace, been taken from slavery, they'd been spared from God's wrath. But how much more for us when we see more clearly the, the grace of God than they do? They didn't see that Jesus would come and be a Messiah, they'd been delivered from political slavery. We've been delivered from eternal judgment and death. Yikes. I know sometimes you think like if I was there and I had seen the Red Sea part, it'd be no problem, I'd give all my bangles away. They were building a tabernacle where the presence of God would dwell. This is what this offering was for, and sacrifices would be offered to cover up their sins. We see that Jesus actually made us his tabernacle and dwells in us and puts sin away forever. If that's how they gave in response to what they had seen, how much more, how much more should we give? Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, and then we're going to end. I I want to show you that this principle from Exodus 35 and 36 is found in the New Testament as well. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's it's very similar words to what's used in Exodus 35 and 36 in a narrative form. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread... and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is the point of our giving, that God will give back to us and we have more seed to give. This is the point of your... Listen, the point of your life is not your career. I, I Listen, I thank God that many of you have great careers, you've got great minds that God has given you to solve problems on earth, and you should do that, every good work. But God has given you what he has given you to increase the kingdom of God. When you're working your job as an engineer, you're saying, God, how can I increase your kingdom? How can I bring the kingdom of God to bear on the bank I work at, on the daycare I work at, a- at the hospital I work in? This is the point of our lives. Paul says, okay, so when it comes to giving, don't panic. That's what he says, because it's God that's going to supply all your needs. It's God who's going to supply seed for the sower. I love this picture of seed and sowing. I know some of you are in a season right now where you just think, I just, just, I got nothing. And it reminds me a little bit about when they had droughts in the 1800s and they had to decide what they were going to do with that seed. Were they going to like eat all the food? Or were they going to plant that seed and wait for nine months, live a little bit tight and wait for the nine months this is what Paul's saying. You're giving it away. You're giving your cash away in faith that God will multiply it and bring it back to you. Now, this is not this is not some name it and claim it, like give your five bucks and God, you'll find 500 on the ground mix. I wish that that was true. But it does tell us that God will return it to us. You cannot take that away. That's what the scripture says. I mean, you can't reason that away. And he will supply you seed. But to get that seed, you you have to plant it. C.S. Lewis said that unless your level of giving creates fear in you, you're not giving biblically. you know the number one reason people don't give? It's not really, it's not really because they're like cynical or mad or they're poor. People don't give because they've got fear. Because they're afraid. I mean, I've been there before. When our offerings were like minus 200 bucks, I would never know week to week if we were going to get paid. Like we had a mortgage, we were living downtown Toronto and we had little babies and I'm sweating thinking about it actually. (laughs) So hard. But I had to decide, Dave and I had to decide in those days if we'd be governed by fear or faith. We'd actually believe this God that says, I will provide seed for your sowing. I will provide for you. I had to wrestle with the fact that I was not the provider. Listen, I want to control all the things. I want to control the remote control. I want to control the temperature of my house, Abel. I want to control I want to control all the things, including my bank account. And I had to wrestle that to the ground. I had to decide that greater was he that was in me than he that was in the world. I had to decide that I was not going to be governed by fear, that I was going to be obedient. Maybe some of you, hey, you haven't started giving it. You don't even want to talk about it. Like when I talk about publicly talking about it, you think, oh my gosh, she's going to make us all stand up. and ah. I, I want you to wrestle the fear to the ground. I, I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to do some wrestling with God this week. What would it mean if I went all in for Jesus? Now, maybe for some of you, finances isn't the problem. Maybe you, you're unlike any North American. And you don't have a problem, and money's easy. Maybe there's other things that you got to wrestle to the ground. Maybe you haven't been all in in, in like serving God. Maybe maybe your laying. I don't I don't know what it is. All I know is that we got to do some wrestling. Let me just conclude. C.S. Lewis says this. I'm afraid the only safe rule to give more than we can. Sp- I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. This is all of our lives, by the way not just our money, I I want you to think about this in terms of your time and your talent. The only safe way is to give more than we can spare if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us. They are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. I read that this week and thought, are there things that I can't do because I'm giving too much? Like are there times that I have to say to my kids, "Hey kids, you know what? We're not doing. We're not going to Starbucks for the 10th time this month because we because we're deciding that we're giving to the kingdom of God." Are, are there times in my life where I say, "You know what? I'm not going to get new shoes because I cuz I'd rather give to Kingdom Partners where people are going to come to Jesus where where kids are going to be like fed and like w- w- are there things I have to say no to Jessica on because I've decided to say yes to Jesus on? This is what it means to lose our life for the kingdom of God. This is what, this is what the world, listen, listen, the world is not looking for people that just are fractionally nicer. The world is looking for people like Jesus who laid down their lives for the kingdom of God. There are people in our city that need your sacrifice today. And I want to speak as strongly as this. Some of you say, well, I'm going to get there when I get, like when I'm old, like you, I will get there. Let me just speak, listen, in most churches, in most churches where the move of God has come, The move of God has come because the young people stood up and said, I will be counted. And some of you are young and you don't have money and you're still in school and you're stressed beyond belief. I wanna call you to sacrificial giving. Start now before you have more. You see, somebody said this, the higher we get, the more your bank account grows. And I pray that all your bank accounts grow in Jesus' name and you get to enjoy good things. This is not about us not enjoying good things. But as our bank accounts grow, we have further to fall from. Cause you remember, do you remember when you got your first thousand bucks in your bank? And you thought you were rich? <laughs> my my 16-year-old son was talking about this. He said, last summer I went from no money to a thousand bucks. <sighs> remember when a thousand bucks seemed like amazing? And then you realize it's like sand in your hands. And when you got that first tax return back and you're like, "Ah." listen, the more we get, the harder it is. Start now when you have 10 bucks. Start now when you get a paycheck for five bucks and you only can give 50 cents. Start now when you got nothing. Now, if you got something here, I'm going to call you to do something courageous. I'm going to call you to say yes to Jesus from the top of that bank account. I'm going to call you to say, yes, God, because sacrifice doesn't look the same for Like some of you have been given lots of money, and I thank God for but it. But it's not, if you're really honest, it's not sacrifice. You don't even notice it's gone. You're not, you're not denying yourself. This is like extra lunch money. I, I, I Listen, I'm believing that there are going to be people that come to Journey Church who they can give a million bucks, won't even realize it. Now, it makes some of you nervous because you have got a bias against people with money. You you ha- you actually have a you you actually think that because they have money they don't have the spirit of God. No, the spirit of God rests generosity is what we're going to unlock the kingdom of God because we've decided to be generous. It's not about how much you give; it's about a sacrifice of our hearts. Can you stand with me this morning? I, I am praying that God would would so move all of us that our surrender that our giving would actually just be a, a function of our sacri- uh, 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 our giving would be a function of our surrender so god i surrender everything i surrender everything i surrender my mixed up marriage i i surrender i surrender all the the habits and weirdness i got going on in my life God, I give it all to you. And giving, God, just becomes an easy part of that. God, I pray that you would be giving revelatory knowledge to people in this place about your kingdom that is generous. I pray that we would recognize that our lives are not just dependent on the here and now, but what we give, God, goes beyond us. I pray that you'd place holy fire in our life, a holy fire in our hearts to be generous on every occasion that we would take the seed that you've sown, that you've given to us, and that we would sow it into your kingdom. Amen. Abel's going to lead us, and then we're going to close with a prayer in a moment. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.